moment of prayer and uh, and in this at the same time for your intercession for the people whose names and stories are written on those cards um, I can concur with what Jace opened with you know this is uh, something we're we're, we're kind of angling towards by these cards to create this moment where if someone calls the church or comes in here on a Sunday morning and said, I'd just like to put somebody on the prayer list, that somebody's going to remember them in prayer. And uh, so we're very excited about, you know, and to just know. And when you mentioned, Jay's mentioned uh, prison, JoJo mentioned jail. And the card, I'm not calling names or anything, but the card that I was reading and prayed over, when you think about this, it was uh, from someone in the far northeast in New York who's in jail. And the very fact that here's somebody in Arkansas who doesn't know this individual, but tonight I took their need and prayed that the same angel, come on somebody, that same angel. Now, I didn't pray for a breakout. I prayed for a spiritual breakthrough. Come on, amen. And uh, so that was uh, it's exciting. So I want to encourage you to continue to be a part of it. Um, you know, tonight, tonight is, the it's a trial run, right? Now, I've, I, I believe this is the right direction, but I have been very honest and transparent with you and with, especially with Jace, because uh, my time with him on Wednesdays and Thursdays of kind of planning out the direction for Wednesday nights. Um, several weeks ago when I decided, I came into the, to the, it was during lunchtime, I think it was. And I just got alone with the Lord in the altar area. And I was praying about, you know, kind of what to do with this because we could gravitate different directions. And I just did not want to lose the teaching element of Wednesday night. Not because I don't want to not value the altar and the experience and the presence of God. But, you know, we're seeing more of that coming back around on our Sunday morning wraparound effect. But I still believe in the teaching of the scriptures and everything. And so... Uh, I spent the time, and this context jumped in my mind about a Bible overview. Now, here's something that's different versus a very pinpointed subject matter. The Bible is filled with all kinds of subjects. I mean, apart from nuclear physics, there it's filled with all kinds of subjects. And if you've got a particular issue in your life, you study that out oftentimes. You search, you know, for maybe you've got forgiveness in your, or unforgiveness, and you're dealing with that, and you're just trying to ask the Lord, so you're going to go and you're going to dig through and you're going to search. But this is not necessarily that kind of study. This is a study that creates breath, B-R-E-A-D-T-H, right? Breath like this. So it, it gives you a greater perspective of the scriptures to help you know the scriptures. And so I want to go into it tonight. Now listen very qu quickly. If this is the book that I chose, it's very simple. This is not co college level. This is not... High school level. It's probably one level below. This would be kind of a grade school level, probably. For uh, so it's it's very simple. Six to eight pages per book. It's just giving us some. I've chose that one on purpose because I didn't want to overcrowd it. I didn't want this to be something that you know we'll be 17 years in going through. I wanted it that we could kind of move through it at a pace that at the end of this, we're going to look at some objectives. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up tonight, I won't follow it exactly, obviously, but it's a stimulus to give us an overview. Now, one of the things that I, if we go this direction, 
I won't put this book in your hands because it's $12. But I will put this book in your hands. It's the exact same book. It's just a little bit smaller copy. So you'll have to crank up those glasses a little bit to be able to see it. It's the same exact book, but for $5.99, which is almost the same cost of that purple book, I can put that in your hand. And so then you can just kind of have it, and that way every week, now, if we feel like that. So tonight, I'm going to get right into the lesson in here in just a minute, but I am all ears. I'll be open to not necessarily criticism, um, but critique. How about that? Yeah, yeah. So I'll be open to, you know what, Pastor, I don't know, you know, whatever. I'm on a, I want to follow up the leading of the Lord, and I want us to be in unity and harmony. It's the overall growth of our church. That's what we're in, pers in pursuit of, isn't it? So let's look at this tonight. I want to start out with some objectives very quickly. And when you've, this particular book, you, know, you don't have it tonight, and you won't, but if you do get it, you'll see that the first little bit of introduction takes you into reasons to study the Bible, how to study the Bible, giving you little tidbits of information, basic principles of Bible study. And then it clarifies the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but also reaffirming that the Old Testament is equally as much as the Word of God as anything written in red letters. Come on, amen? So we have some objectives. This is some objectives that I put down when I was preparing my heart this morning. So what are the objectives of an overview of the Bible? Number one is to know the Scriptures. Right? If I remember correctly, Jesus said... This, he said, you do err, King James Version, you do err, you're in error because you do not know the scriptures. That's what he said to the San to leaders that had the scriptures in their hands. But he said, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Well, I want us as a people to know the scriptures, right? I want you to, I want this to create a stimulus. You know, I'd like to say I read Genesis right before church tonight, <laughs> but I did not. But, but I've gleaned through it through the course of the day. This is a little more difficult when we're going to start out tonight because it's 50 chapters. But I want you to understand the scriptures. Number two, I want you to understand the story of redemption. Because I believe that that is the story that's being revealed in the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, the 66 books, the common theme some of your Bibles may even have, a, uh, there was a story or a theme that someone wrote, a little page, and it's attached to certain Bibles that I used to read, um, that I used to use, and it was called the Scarlet Thread of Redemption. Matter of fact, y'all taught a lesson about the Scarlet Thread, because the Scarlet Thread of Redemption is in the beginning and it's in the ending. Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. So we want you to see and understand the story of redemption. Number three, I want you to gain insight through historical and cultural information. This is very important. We're going to talk about it in a moment. This is something that most of us, that if you haven't gone into formal education, you really have not gained much historical and cultural information. And in doing so, there's a lot of uh, vague areas about both the Bible and the right application of the Word of God. But as you, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, as I study the Scriptures, when I'm preparing a sermon, one of the things that I look at, if I'm looking at a narrative, when I use the term narrative, I'm talking about like I've been preaching about Elijah. So I don't like to say story. I often do, but I don't mean to. When I think of story, I think about a fairy tale book. But, uh, but there are stories in the Scripture. But these are historical accounts. This is just like if you were to go back into your history book and you're reading about Pearl Harbor or you're reading about the Revolutionary War. We're talking about true historical events that have taken place. 
And so I'm, I use them as narrative. And when you can look at what the, the history of the time in which it's set, remember the Bible is spanning uh, you know, 40, about 4,000 years of human history from Genesis to uh, Revelation, but the, the prime f- uh, period of time, which we'll get to in a few minutes, is about 1,500 years. And you, the, the culture has changed a lot during that time period. And it's very important that you can see this. And the cultural information helps us unlock some of the scriptural things uh, as we do this. And then I want to connect the Bible. Uh, and that, that kind of is a blend of this. But what I mean by connect the Bible, I want to be, if, you, if you study this out just a little bit, it will help you a little bit to see. Like take the book of First and Second Kings. And you can see the order, the timeline that's unfolding there. And you can see from David all the way to the last king, I believe it was, who was the name of the last king? Zedekiah, I think it was. Uh, I, does, that, does that sound right? I, I think so, the king of, of Judah, I think. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, see, it sounds good. And so, but when you get to see that and you get to see, okay, where were the prophets? How was the prophets? Where was Elijah? What was going on? It connects the whole thing together. It helps you, gives you that bigger picture, doesn't it? Helps you understand it. Because, you, you know, you got to be very careful. You don't want to stand up here and say, you know what? When God delivered Moses from the lion's den and, and Samson, right, led the children of Israel through the Red Sea. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> so you want to have a bigger picture here, correct? That sounds like some sermons I've heard or probably been guilty of preaching over the years. And lastly, I just believe that the old adage is knowledge is power. Right? In, in the right context, right? The, the, if you have true spiritual knowledge, and yes, head knowledge plays a part, right? Because how many of you know that a part of your mind can be renewed? In the context of there's a spirit of mind that is renewable, then there's a part of your mind that's carnal that we have to put to death. But the part of my mind that can be renewed, I want to gain the knowledge of God. I want to grow in the knowledge of God. I find strength when I meditate upon the Word of God. I can be honest in my sermon preparations today. I gain greater revelation when I'm meditating on the Word than when I'm reading the Word. Now, meditation is the byproduct of reading the Scripture, correct? I'm not trying to take you to some cultish thought there that says I don't read the scriptures, obviously I do. I'm saying, but after I read the scriptures, I'm, hmm, I'm pondering that. I'm meditating. The, one of the words in the, uh, Joshua 1 and 8 in the Hebrew, it says, if you will meditate upon the law of God, that word meditate means to muse upon, to think upon, to contemplate it. And so when I meditate, I'll become empowered. I'll be empowered by, for what? Empowered in my worship of God, empowered in my obedience to God right empowered in my relationship to each other as uh, if i can't love you how can i say i love god isn't that what the bible says and so as i become empowered then i also i'm when i use the word empower we're empowered i believe we have a trifecta enemy that we deal with the world number one right the temptations of this world satan presented to jesus all the things of this world nothing has changed they're repackaged they've been um, modernized, but at the same time, the temptations and the lust of the world still present today. So we got the world. We have to overcome, don't we? We overcome the world. And then there's also the lust of the flesh, right? And that, that many times, that's the thing that we fail to address. We want to blame everything on the third enemy, the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. We want to say everything is the devil's fault, but many times it's our own struggle with our own carnal appetite. 
But when I know the Word of God, because I know the Scriptures, I'm empowered in that trifecta warfare, and I don't mix up my enemy. You can scream at the world all day long, but if you don't mortify your flesh, hello, somebody, right? And you can say, get thee behind me, Satan, but if you don't make better decisions with where you're putting your eyes, wow, is this, in, this ain't in the book. My goodness gracious. That's good stuff right there. All right, so that's kind of some objectives that I have from overview of the Bible. Now, this particular book, once we put it in your hand, if you are in harmony with us putting it in your hand, it gives seven highlights to each chapter. It's going to give you a six to eight page overview of a chapter. Now, certainly some of the chapter, or it's not chapter, but books. Some of the books are much larger, like where we're beginning at tonight, from when you get to some of the smaller books like Philemon. Well, it's not going to be quite a great detail over that one particular page in the Scripture. But it's going to give you a purpose, what the, what the, uh, an, intention, uh, an intended thought that is emerging, a purpose, a background. What's the context? That's some of the things that we're looking at here. But it's also going to reveal a theme, a common theme that's running through it, key people. Now, this is this book. I won't follow this particular uh, pattern every time, and those others that teach may, but they may not. It may be too much for us to try to cover in one week. Key people. We will highlight key people that are in a particular book, and we're going to do so tonight. And uh, key verses will certainly come forth. Being God's people, what does that mean? What did it mean for that culture of God's people, and what does it mean for us? That's always our objective in the first place, isn't it? Is to, hey, what did that mean? What was God saying to that particular people group? And now, what is he saying to me through that? How can I have an ear to hear what the Spirit's saying? And ultimately, uh, you know, uh, he can't, the volume of the book, it says, in the volume of the book, Hebrews chapter number 10, in the volume of a book, it is written of him. It's all about Jesus, right? We, and I want to show you, you're going to see that tonight. You're going to see Jesus, and you're going to, well, you're going to see Jesus tonight when, before we're finished. Now, in doing so, also, each chapter gives you, excuse me, I keep saying chapter instead of book. Each book also gives you an outline of that particular book, and that's pretty cool. When you just get to see, real quickly, that's a brief synopsis. That way, you kind of get a brief, uh, you know, from beginning to ending of that particular book, and suddenly... You know, that kind of empowers you. That's kind of like you trying to put together that new TV cabinet that, you know, that you went out and bought, and you come there, and there's 1,700 parts, and it's written in Chinese and, and all that. Thank God for the picture on the box, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> that picture on the box, you're, like, you're looking back, and you're hoping what you're building here is looking like that. And so the outline helps you with that because it's just a brief synopsis. gives you that picture in your mind very quickly. Timeline. I'm telling you, the timeline is a critical thing. It'll help you if you ever get a chance. It'll be in this book, and you'll see that timeline and how that, it, that, that some of the things are overlapping. We won't get into the timelines tonight. I won't be able to put that on your screen tonight. But at the same time, for your own personal knowledge, that's a big thing. It is a big thing. You'll see that unfold. Remember what it said about Jesus when the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son. Then the four lenses. Now we're going back to a book that we shared many years ago called um, Windows into the Bible, right? Does anybody remember that? Four Lenses. And I want to go ahead and put you the narrative real quickly to remind you of, of what this made sense. The four lenses. The author 
the author, Mark Turnage, who is the director of Holy Land Studies of the Assemblies of God in Israel, very quickly wrote this book. He said there are four lenses, historical, cultural, spatial, and spiritual, to which I'll talk about just very briefly, that a believer needs to put on as he's reading them. And as I was kind of getting this, as he's reading the scriptures, um, I was kind of getting this, and I, put, I had a, a picture image in my mind of a, a, a particular scene in a movie. And which I don't want to take your mind into the movie world tonight, but I'm going to because this was in today's time a very clean movie. It was uh, National Treasure. National Treasure, when they were uh, looking for the treasure that was supposedly the map was on the back of the Declaration of Independence, correct? And they had unscrolled it and then they had found the glasses. They had found the glasses and the brother was looking on the map and he thought he had the direction. But the glasses that he had had three lenses on each side. He had the main lenses and then two colored lenses. And he had only looked through the two lenses. And then when he, so he was following the wrong path. But then when he raised it up and flipped it like that, all of a sudden it exposed something that was there all along, but he did not know it. So Mark Turnage, he didn't use that example. I should have told him. He could have put it in his book. If there's a revision, maybe he'll call me. Maybe then I'll get, what's that called, a royalty? Maybe I'll get a little royalty out of that. So, but he made this, and it just, it helped me personally that when I study the scriptures, look for its historical context. Look for its culture. Let's note this very quickly. We taught this on Wednesday night several years ago, but when you turn the page, let's look at timeline for just a moment. This is just an example. When you turn the page of the last page of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Covenant, it's four chapters long. When you turn that page and you open to Matthew chapter number one, 400 plus years of human history have passed. Now I want you to think about that's longer than the United States has been in existence. You think the history of, the, of, the, of the, the region that we call North America, has that changed in 400 years? Right? It's changed a lot, hasn't it? Uh, the Native Americans would testify, it's changed a lot. All right? And then the culture. Culture's changed because when that particular book closed, um, it was the Medes, it was the Persian Empire. And, but by the time it opened in Matthew's Gospel, the Roman Empire. Correct? I think that's right. And then spatial, spatial simply means relating to. It's relating to something. The author here said you got to, the scripture has the flora, the fauna. I didn't, those are not words that I, I knew flora. And uh, she was a girl in school, but I didn't know fauna. So I had to look this stuff up. But <laughs> she's what that, <laughs> Larry, leave that alone. You can't be tagging to my jokes now. Flora and fauna. But what the point the author was making is that tied to the Bible. See, God took a picture. When I looked down, I'm looking down. God's looking down. God took a picture. And he tied revelation to things uh, and revealing his purpose and his character and his knowledge and his grace to certain things in the flora, the fauna, and the geography of the land of Israel and sometimes even beyond. And yes, there are things that are tied to it and it helps you to understand it. And then at the end, you certainly want to look with the spiritual lens, right? We want breath. We want pneuma. Right, the breath of God. We want the life of God, the Spirit of God conveyed. So that's kind of a little bit of some of the objectives that we're going to have. Some of these things are made available to you in the book. These are lenses that we're going to use as we go through this. And we find ourselves coming tonight in the process of kind of getting this started. And they take us into this thought process very quickly. They take us into this first chapter as a lead-in is that the first five books of the Bible are known as, let me see if y'all can help me, 
that right? No, 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 no. I, I, I was sitting here in my mind before, so it is the Pentateuch, but, but I was sitting here trying to, as I, and I was thinking about this, before I put this down, I want to make sure I differentiate between the Pentateuch and because I usually say the Torah, right? Because one is Greek and the other one, so this actually means the 70. And the Septuagint is what the, when they, in Alexander, uh, Alexandria, Egypt, they translated the Old Testament into um, Greek. And it, Septuagint means 70. And I was sitting there, that's what I was looking up, and I want to make sure I get that right. Obviously, I did not get that right. But I'm not going to try to spell, pena, say it again, pena tuahashahakaya right there. That's close enough for me. But it simply means, that is Greek. You hear it used commonly to describe the first five books. It means the five scrolls. Let's just see what it means. It means it's a Greek word, whereas Torah is a Hebrew word. So at least we can cast some differentiation between those two languages. The Greek Pentateuch, which means the five scrolls. The Torah, which means the what? The law or instruction. So that's the first five books. We call it commonly the five books of Moses, right? I commonly refer it to as the law, so do you. Most of you use that term, the law, correct? We're going to start tonight with the what? The Genesis. What does Genesis mean? There it is. All right, y'all are students, and y'all get, everybody gets an A. This is liberalism right here. One got it right, and everybody gets to join in. So, Oh, the joy of the Lord Jesus. Did y'all hear all right, so here we go. We're going to jump into Genesis tonight. Are y'all with me out there? Let's look at Genesis for just a moment. Let's talk about it. It's 50 book, 50 chapters, excuse me. It's the very first book of the Bible, correct? I mean, typically that's one you can find. <laughs> right? Right? If I say, can you turn to the book Habakkuk? You're like, I'm not for sure. My pages are still stuck together. <laughs> Come on, church family. That is funny, 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 funny. Right, but Genesis, you can say, I can find that, right? It's in the beginning. But we're going to talk about Genesis tonight. Man, there's some cool things that are in the book of Genesis. Um, yeah, in the page one. Yeah, starting out right there. Right, in the, that's how it starts. In the what? In the beginning. Who? Say it right In the beginning, God. Has it changed, has it? Right, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the earth was, that's right. So y'all know it. There's some things deeply embedded on the inside of you. So we're going to, again, we're going to try to put it in its overview for just a moment. So there's 50 chapters. So we know that in the Genesis, there's 50 chapters. And chapters 1 and 2 deal primarily with what? Say it again with me. Creation. We're going to talk about it in a minute. We won't get to go. You know that we could spend the next seven years going into Genesis, trying to divulge different doctrinal things and historical context. You could spell, I mean, people make an entire lifetime, an entire career and calling of, of trying to teach about the principles of creation that are found in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, correct? And then in chapters 2 through 11, we're going to deal primarily with, so we have the beginning of creation, we have the beginning of nations, right? Nations. Because it goes from mankind to nations. You'll see that unfold here in just a few moments. And then in chapter 12 is a very pivotal moment that we'll hasten to. Actually, the particular author of our particular study seemed to move very quickly past Genesis 1 and 2, 2 and 11, 
all the way to chapter 12 through number 50 because this is, so it's called the book of beginnings. It is the book of the beginning of creation. It's the beginning of nations. And it is the beginning of the nation of, of Israel, right? Of Israel or the Hebrew people. We could put several names on here. We could, but this is what begins to unfold in chapter 12, verse number 50. So we've got creation, the creation account. Day one, day two, day three, God rested on the seventh. We know of a very significant event, which we'll talk about events here in just a moment. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I might just kind of jump in. There's some key people that I do want to go ahead and put their names up here very, very quickly that we see, which I'm going to take you to a very specific place here in a few moments, but an overview. That's what we're doing. We're trying to glean from an overview, oversight. This is one of the most challenging books that we'll do an overview of because, again, I'm trying to do in one lesson what you could study for weeks and weeks and weeks on and never exhaust its, res its resources. But I still want you to walk away from here tonight with having just a little bit of a greater understanding related to the Genesis. So there's some things here tonight, some key people. I'm going to put them down, see if y'all follow with me here. How about Adam? <laughs> right he was pretty key wasn't he? he was the first right right and here was eve right and this was adam in the hebrew and it means what man made from the red clay earth eve means huh mother of all living just testing y'all y'all don't get a good grade on that one right there eve let's go on down how about these are key people cain right abel Correct? Let's go on down. How about this? Noah. Noah had how many sons? Three. Right? We got who? Ham. And I'm going to go in reverse order. Right? And the reason why is because we're going to soon focus on because the godly lineage continued through. Right? Jim. Correct? I think I left out one uh, even before then that I had written down there. Maybe not. Then And then certainly... The, one of the main stars, who? Abram, right, who became Abraham, correct? And who, I'll just go and put it right here, Sarah, right? I mean, that's, these are key people in the scriptures, all in the Genesis. I'm talking about, this is a lifetime of study right here. And yet they're all contained in the first 11, and then it starts in the, his life is not contained in the first. It begins at the end of chapter 11, carries over into chapters 12, all the way through about chapter number 25. Abram, Sarah, then we have who? We have Isaac, right? And also, but I didn't put, there is Ishmael, but I'm going to put Rebecca, right? Because she's just as important, correct? Because out of her womb came, right? Jacob. We could put Esau here, but we're not. We're going to actually focus on Jacob, and then who was key in Jacob's life? Two? I'm trying to get the ladies here to... Who? Come on. Leah, right, and Rachel. You guys are doing good. You're doing, you see all Sunday school class? It's working, Jace. It is working from there. So stay with me just a little bit. Then we have, these are just key people in the Genesis that if you're going to take the time to read, you're going to kind of study and you're going to see some of the things unfold right in front of your eyes. But then we go on down and we've got the 12 sons. I'm not going to put all these, the 12 sons of who? Right there, the 12 sons, Jacob, Esau. And then of those 12 sons, we're going to mention two in particular that are going to come and we're going to save him for last, but we're going to save the second son, I believe, in lineage of age, is Judah. 
right? Right? And so of the 12 sons, there's Judah. And our Lord sprang from what tribe? Right? Judah. So I wanted to mention him. But also, I'm trying to include because there is a, there is a female presence that cannot be overlooked. In Genesis chapter number 37, I believe it is, it's right here when we're going to get to this person in a moment, and that is Joseph. He's the other son that the, becomes the end of the chapters 37 through 50, almost exclusively deal with Joseph. But I believe it's chapter 37 and 38. I have to look it up real quickly. There's a significant event that took place in the life of Judah where he came into sexual relations with the woman Tamar. Right? And what's ironic about this is the lineage of Jesus is traced through this encounter that took place. This was his daughter-in-law. And her son had died, and there was no seed. And so he had an opportunity, according to the culture Judah did, to give his younger brother, or give the, the son that died, his, his brother to Tamar to raise up seed because that was part of the culture. Remember the word culture? And he did not do so. Tamar dresses up like a prostitute. Judah's shearing sheep. This is important for us because these guys weren't all too sanctified and holy. They had not made it through the classes at First Assembly about learning how to not fornicate and things of that nature, of course, but there was no law. There, you know, you and I know the Mosaic law. We know don't do this, do this. But there was no law. And so she seduces him, and he goes in unto her and uh, produces a child. And the reason why we bring this up, and I only bring it up to you, God took that failure moment, what was looked like failure, and the lineage of Jesus Christ can be traced right through, all the way up. If you're going to get all the way to Adam from Mary's womb, and you're going to get all the way, Mary being the mother of Jesus, correct? So I'm jumping ahead, way ahead in the genealogy of Christ. It's a powerful story. If you're going to follow the genealogy of Jesus, you're going to have to go through the womb of Tamar, who was dressed as a prostitute on the side of the road when Judah impregnated her. But God used, I'm telling you, God is bigger than our mistakes. Come on, that's what I'm wanting you to see tonight, and I wanted to mention that very quickly. That's what's powerful about, in the story of Genesis, you're, it's not just about creation and creationism, but it's about families, and it's often about failure, right? It's about things that are done uh, without counsel at times. It's, about, it's without seeking the mind and the heart of God at times until people have made terrible mistakes, terrible mistakes. Uh, Abraham stumbled through the tent of Hagar, Right? We see other accounts in Scripture of these uh, uh, of men. Abraham, Abraham's uh, wife was taken from him for a short period of time because he lied and, and he, he wouldn't own up that it was his wife. He said, told the king uh, that it was his sister. You see all these things, but then you see a doctrine begin to be revealed in the Genesis, and it's called this, right? I mean, guess what? All the way in the Genesis, he was the God of all grace, right? Wasn't he? And that's a powerful story. And this is one of the books that when you read the book of Genesis, you're going to identify with many of these characters or these key people. Because, hey, my life hadn't been perfect. Man, if I was preaching in another church, I'd say, I need a witness right there. My life hasn't been perfect. And I've made some mistakes. But I've found God to be the God of all grace. And he's allowed me to repent and to humble myself and to become submissive to him. And God puts us back Come on, after his own will. 
He does all things for his own glory. Anybody want to ask a question or comment? Are you all with me out there for Monica? Chapter number 38 is this particular story right here, chapter 38. Just so you'll know that, and that's a cool story. I mean, it's kind of Jerry Springer-like. Jeff, is that you back there, Jeff? All right, there, I got you now, bro. I thought it was Sister Pat. Yes, he does. He does flip things around, and that's who God is. Uh, and, and we just want to, and I want to show you some things tonight. So these are key people. So that's helping you have an overview. We go from Adam to Joseph in the 50 chapters. But now let's go ahead and look at a couple other things. Are y'all still out there? So let me erase. I want to go ahead and toss this out for you so that you'll catch it. Probably the most debated book of the Bible is what? Uh, probably Genesis. I know you're thinking, what about Revelation? No, I mean, I mean. Revelation probably does not divide classrooms at secular universities, but the, but the doctrine of creationism does. It does. And it, so it's a, it's, a, it's a divided doctrine, but it's a powerful image when you, when you get in your heart that in the beginning, God. How many believe that? You get that in your heart to know that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Chapter number three of Genesis records a very important in the in the history of mankind we call it this what is it it's the fall of man right Romans chapter number five Paul writing looking back said this right here he said by one man what entered the world sin entered the world and what and death by sin thus the need for a redeemer come on somebody amen in Genesis, the fall of man. So I want to take you into a little bit different uh, part. So with, with creation, there was something I did want to note real quickly. I don't spend any time on it, but chapter number 10, I believe it's verse number 5, and also chapter number 11, verse number 32, we understand after, after Noah, what's that? He is merciful, isn't he? He's our father. He's the father that saw you when you were in sin, and he came to you, didn't he? He did. He, who was looking in the garden? It wasn't Adam. Adam was hiding. God was searching. He's still searching, isn't he? He's sending you as his representative to search for mankind, to, 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 to pull them to his side. So let me, let me see if I, I've got to move real quickly. I don't know if I'm much time. I'm trying to... I'm trying to debate whether I could cover all of Genesis in one uh, tonight. I'm going to have to, these two scriptures here, the reason I put this, is we're omitting, we're not even going to get into Noah and the flood, but after Noah, the Bible talks about the land being divided in those days. This is a couple important verses for you because this is after the Tower of Babel, or this, excuse me, part, actually kind of in context, or even just before, there are people that believe that the land masses have actually, the, the, the plates, have bro were broken up in those days and drifted. There are people that believe, creationists believe that there was one landmass after the flood, but then it broke up into what it is presently today. Well, it's referenced here in these two verses, so you get a little bit of the history of this. 
but, uh, 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 of creation there, you know, in that verse, kind of tell you possibly. I can't say that for sure, but when you watch videos or, or study, you know, educated men on creation, it's kind of intriguing. They'll, they'll often cite this. But this, the, the story of Genesis in the creation begins to really narrow, and it lands on this man right here. And we've got to talk about him real quickly because he is, uh, he's in the lineage of, of Seth, not of Seth, I'm sorry, of Shem. He's in the lineage of Shem, and God comes to him when he's living where? He's a man that's living in Mesopotamia in a land called where? A city called what? Ur of what? Of the Chaldeans, right? Which that is, for us, that is modern-day what? Bab- well, not Babylon, excuse me, Iraq. Right, my son just came from there. So, I want to show you a picture here, and uh, if y'all put one of these maps up for me, if you would, Lori, if we can. Let's, put, let's, let's look at this one real quickly, and I was showing Jace on this. Now, it, it, can you see it right here all the way down? I know it's hard for you to see. You see where it says Ur, right there, you are, and Babylon, just south of Babylon? And that's modern-day Iraq. And the Lord took Abram, you see the, the dots, and I've got to get me a pointer because I'm going to try to have maps each week. God came to Ur, or to, to Abram, to form a covenant with him. At this particular time, all the surrounding regions in this particular area, they're worshiping false gods. But the true faith of Yahweh had been passed to, Shem, to Shem's lineage. And as a result, Abraham learned of God and believed God, and God came to him. And God told him to go to a certain land. That's, where, that's part of the whole narrative of Scripture. Abraham went out, not knowing whether he went. Abraham was searching for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was a sojourner, the Bible says, uh, looking for the promises of God. But uh, there's a point here. I want you to go back, and this will help you understand this, is that remember we've got to look at the Bible geographically. If you look at this map real quickly, you don't really catch Well, Why didn't he take the direct route to the land of Canaan? Because see that where it says above that shepherd, it says the Arabian Desert. You don't just cross the Arabian Desert on foot or in a caravan. So what do you do? Now, notice how he traveled. Notice real quickly, what's he traveling along? Say it again. The river. Many years ago, we were exposed to a, uh, and I met him personally and heard him teach. He was a close friend of Dr. Brassfield. He was a colonel in the Israeli army, and he's also a tour guide, and you probably met him too, Gail, Ronnie Simone. And he taught us in his teaching because he's deeply rooted in understanding the culture, uh, the old covenant culture. He's not necessarily a believer, but he studies that the, it's a following the, the waterways. When you look at the, the movement of God's people, they're following the waterways. He's going along. What's, what, what he's traveling along, show the next picture, and we're going to go back and forth. He's traveling along what's called the Fertile Crescent. Because of those two rivers, the Tigris River and the Euphrates River, there it's you know it's not the heat of the desert. He's got resources. He's got water, so he goes all the way up. Now go back to the other one. He goes all the way up to Haran, and then from Haran he begins to go south. And when he makes this journey south, and I'm sorry I can't point to you, that particular area that is actually when it see Canaan. You see that that's the land of Israel. You can see right there where it says Canaan, right below it, you'll see the Dead Sea. Just a little bit above it, you'll see that's the Sea of Galilee. So he's coming into the land of Israel, the land that you and I are very familiar with. That's the promised land. Right? How many know they're still fighting over that promised land? 
Matter of fact, President Trump, positively and negatively, had some things happen this week about that very same land that now 4,000 years later, they're still debating on this land. But I wanted you to see real quickly because if you're trying to learn the history, this helped me personally. There are three particular routes that you could take that they, that in that particular uh, time frame. There's one that goes all the way along the coastal plain. We don't know exactly where Abraham went. It's called the Coastal Way, and it's right along the seacoast. The Philistines were there. Next week, we'll see that when the children of Israel were led out of Egypt, they didn't go that way because of the Philistines. It was near, but they didn't go that way. So Abraham's coming down. Then there's called the Ridge Road. The ridge is high on the mountains. You see how the mountains are going all the way down like this. And then to the right of that or eastward of the Jordan River is called the, uh, the King's Highway. And so these were three major trade routes. Now, what is so important about this land of Israel? What's so important about it geographically? It's a land bridge to what? Tell us, Gail. Of the two continents. And actually, some even combine the two northern continents, which is Europe and Asia, where today five billion people live. And it was populated heavily in those days, and I just spit like an old-time preacher. And I know some of y'all saw that, so I want to acknowledge it so you wouldn't think, well, he doesn't even know. But yes, I did. And so, but then to Egypt, so all the trade, because if you were going to trade goods from Egypt to Europe, are you going to cross the desert? No, you're going to have to go the coastal way, the ridge way, or the king's highway. So when you're reading the scriptures, you're going to see some of that. You're going to see why this, that's why that particular area has been fought for for thousands of years, because it's the bridge to two continents. But that's also where God said, I'm going to take a picture, and I'm going to take it from above, and I'm going to take a snapshot of it, and I'm going to reveal my glory through it. And you and I can look at its geography, its topography, and a number of other things, and we can gain spiritual insight into it. Amen? And you know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to bust this lesson up into two. Because I don't want to teach you of the best. I've saved the best for last. And doing so, I'd have to go so fast, and that would be wrong. Now... So in doing so, it's, it's, it's robbing me personally as a teacher of the great finality. So I'm having to cut my lesson off right here tonight for the sake of time and not get to my planning. But the only reason I'm conversing that to you is by starting this study, I knew it was going to be a little bit awkward initially to get a rhythm to it, especially because it starts at Genesis. If we were starting in Habakkuk, or if we were starting in the book of Haggai, I've got a little sliver of time that I could talk about. Well, it's a lot easier for me to talk about that one little story. But this is 2,000 years of human history. This is a 1,500-mile journey. These are some of the key people in all the Word of God. God is known as the God of, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, right? So this is the captioned here in this particular book. And I knew I couldn't cover it, but I hoped I would. But there's some other things that I want. I want to get to the spiritual things here in a little bit, but I can't do that tonight. So let me pray and close. Even though I've closed it all, we're going to pick it up at Abraham. Is that okay? Look at his journey a little bit. And then we're going to, I want, there's some things about Jesus you've got to see. And I'm going to save that for next week. So I want to pray, and then I want to, don't want you to leave. I want to ask a couple questions.
So let's pray. Father in heaven, I love you. And I thank you for the time together tonight. And there have been some things I've really enjoyed talking about, God, and I have to admit, Father, some things I've been a little bit awkward talking about. And I just pray that you will help us to navigate through this journey. I only want to be led by the Holy Spirit. What is the good of our church family? What are the things that we can gain? Father, help us, Lord, to determine this collectively in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Now, before you leave, let me take a moment to talk. I would need a little bit of feedback. I told you two weeks ago, we had to dismiss last week, we would do a trial run. Now, I was prepared, as prepared as I could be tonight, but this one was a tough one. Me and Jace talked about it privately, and we thought, we matter of fact, we almost diverted and said, let's just stay on Genesis. For, but I was, I'm afraid I don't want this to bog down too much. You know, I, I want to be able to move. I want to be able to have flow. I want overview. I want to see Exodus, and I don't want it to be 10 weeks from now. So I was trying to put myself on a pace, but I don't want to push it too fast that I don't take the time to look at some of the gems that are contained therein. That's what I'm going to do for you next week. So what's your first initial feedback? Are y'all good, bad, ugly?